With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to Scuderia F1, the podcast that's always up to speed with the latest Formula One news. Follow us on Twitter at Scuderia F1 Pod and subscribe to the show on iTunes and Stitcher. Now, here are your hosts, Mark Daly and Kevin Laramay. Hey everybody, what is up? Welcome to the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One here on the Overtime Media Network. Mark Daly here, welcoming you to the show this week. And, well, it's the last few moments of Wednesday, October 30th here on the West Coast of Canada. And that means by the time the show comes out and you guys get to download and listen, it will be Halloween. So for all of you that celebrate and enjoy all the ghosts and goblins and ghouls and all that sort of stuff, happy Halloween. Hope you have a great, uh, great time. And also, earlier tonight, the Washington National won the World Series of Baseball, so pretty cool. I mean, there's a bit of a tie into Canada because they used to be the, the Montreal Expos uh, before they were uprooted and then uh, resettled in the nation's capital and became the Nationals, so good for them. It's uh, It was cool. I, 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 you know, I'm not the hugest baseball fan, but I always sit down to watch the, the, the World Series and the playoffs. It's always, uh, you know, that baseball playoffs for me, I always find them just absolutely outstanding. So now that the World Series is over and done, yeah, it's a bit disappointing. <laughs> I've, I've enjoyed the last month or so of the, the, the Major League Baseball postseason, but it'll come around uh, before too long. Before you know, it'll be spring training again and uh, we'll start all over again. And of course, this weekend, it is the U.S. Grand Prix at the Circuit of Americas in Austin, Texas. Another one here on home soil. So that's uh, really exciting and cool. Just uh, had the Mexican Grand Prix last week. And boy, it really seems like a long time ago since we had the Canadian Grand Prix way back in, uh, I guess, the beginning of June. It's usually the first weekend of June or thereabouts. And it's kind of weird because the way that the schedule works, that uh, that Canada gets kind of thrown in there in the uh, the European portion of the, the season. But it would, uh, for me, I think, uh, be a little bit cooler if we could kind of bundle up some of these Western Hemisphere races at uh, at the same time. Mexico, Canada, uh, Brazil, U.S. Uh, Grand Prix. That would all be really cool if we could have them one after another. But, you know, one thing that may not be happening uh, sooner than we think is the proposed Grand Prix in, uh, in Miami, Florida, which has been kind of on again, off again, mostly off, and then looked like it was going to happen. And now it looks like it's hit another speed bump. No pun intended, when the whole works was literally ground to a halt by literally a bunch of badass old ladies in in, in Miami that uh, showed up to a city hall town meeting uh, earlier this week. They were well prepared. They knew what the point they were going to make. Uh, they easily filled up the, the full 30 minutes that they had in front of the mic uh, to, to plead their case and uh, and make their points. And they did a very effective job. On the, uh, on the other side, those representing um, Formula One and those trying to uh, get the race in the city uh, weren't able to fill up as much time and uh, did not uh, present uh, on a number of key issues. One of them was uh, noise and air pollution and uh, environmental studies that have been done at other uh, venues like Montreal, like Singapore. So, uh, you know, it uh, sounds like they, they dropped the ball a little bit. So, you know, it is... 
I don't know. I really don't know what to make of this one because um, I've mentioned it before. I've covered Major League Soccer for a number of years. And uh, way back when I started my other podcast in 2013 is when uh, David Beckham uh, said that he wanted to bring a a Major League Soccer club to Miami, Florida. And that's took forever. I mean, they're finally going to get uh, starting uh, or start up next year, but it, it was the same thing. They had a, a number of different sites that they wanted to, to build a soccer specific stadium down there. And uh, it seemed all the time they, they, they ran into opposition. Hey, I'm not going to criticize the people in Miami for any of that because I work in land development and I know how the process goes. And uh, I'm, I'm fully aware of the, uh, the different uh, positions and uh, the, the different uh, concerns that people have. And that's their prerogative. You know, if uh, you feel that uh, something uh, in one way or another is going to negatively impact uh, the area that you you live, that is your right by all means to to speak up and say something. However, it just uh, talking about MLS in Miami, it did get done, but it took a good number of years, and uh, they had to go through a whole bunch of different uh, proposed venues before they finally got uh, everybody on board, and uh, the city was able to sign off on that, and uh, they were able to to get it done. So whether or not uh, that will will happen with formula one will it uh, will it eventually go ahead down there that's a good good question i mean if you look at a lot of the concept uh, drawings that they have now around the stadium where the uh, where the miami dolphins play i mean it's, it's pretty cool i mean it is it is a, a neat looking uh, circuit uh, and <laughs> but the thing is looking from the uh, like the renderings and the uh, the aerial photos i mean the thing that strikes me immediately is that there's a lot of houses around there so you can see why uh, people would be uh, concerned about uh, everything from uh, road closures and uh, traffic disruptions during that uh, that week uh, around the grand prix or maybe even longer you know if they have roads closed off and whatnot also the noise pollution also the uh, any potential air pollution which i think is a bit of a non-factor but hey you know if if that's a concern I mean, and uh, you're worried about that, then, uh, you know, that's something that uh, Formula One has to come and uh, disprove that uh, that uh, pollution is going to be a problem for, for anyone there. Because, I mean, there are quite a number of houses that uh, back onto the track or are pretty close to where the, the proposed track would be. So we will just have to wait and see. And, um, well... Again, it could go through some more iterations before it finally does get approved or not. But I mean, the thing is, they did want to get this one up and running for 2021, but it is, um, I'd say... uh, that's not on life support, but it's going to take a while for the process uh, to work out. But uh, you know, some of the things that uh, you know the the, uh, the 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 group that is opposed to the Grand Prix there said that uh, they were worried about uh, that the county studies had shown uh, the deadly effects of air and noise uh, pollution uh, that was. Uh, well, that uh, I think that would probably make a, a lot of people's uh, the, or the hair on the back of their necks uh, stand up. So, anyways, you know, I don't want to take anything away from them. Like I said, uh, the the process is going to have to play itself out. Whether or not uh, the Grand Prix will take place in Miami at the the, the latest uh, proposed uh, venue uh, near Hard Rock uh, Stadium and just in uh, the grounds and the areas around it, uh, we'll wait and see. But uh, not looking like it's going to happen uh, anytime soon. Anyways, uh, why, why don't we just uh, now talk a little bit uh, quickly and just uh, refresh ourselves on the uh, the latest standings in the constructors and drivers world championships and uh, well let's uh, just uh, recap uh, first of all the results from last weekend's uh, Mexican Grand Prix at uh, Autodromo Hermanos Rodriguez in Mexico City apologies to my Spanish speaking friends for butchering that uh, horrendously but I do my best anyways number 44 Lewis Hamilton a bit of uh, 
a bit of a surprise winner, I would say, uh, considering he went a good portion of the laps, uh, uh, well, uh, basically two-thirds of the race or three-quarters of the race on the same set of tires, really pushing the rubber on those Pirellis uh, right to the uh, the edge of the envelope. Anyways, uh, 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 Lewis... Leading Sebastian Vettel in the Ferrari home by 1.766 seconds, Valtteri Bottas made it a Mercedes, well, not a full podium, obviously, but uh, came home in third place to nab a bunch of silverware for the Silver Arrows. He uh, finished uh, back by another three and a half seconds. Charles Leclerc was fourth in the second Ferrari. Alexander Albon was fifth for Red Bull, followed by his teammate Max Verstappen. And what a drama-filled weekend he had. More about Max uh, later in the show. Sergio Perez, the hometown favorite, came home in seventh place and good for him and every time uh, Sergio did something positive out on the track there there were thousands tens of thousands of his uh, his countrymen uh, cheering him on and that was uh, great to see him get a, a good result Danny Ricardo in the first of the Renaults came home in eighth Pierre Gasly in the Scuderia Toro Rosso came home in ninth and Nico Hulkenberg in the second Renault rounded out the top ten anyways on the constructor side of it of course it's all uh, a formality now anyways uh, what with the Mercedes wrapping it up a couple of weeks ago. It is uh, obviously their title. <laughs> Anyways, uh, the Silver Hour, 652 points in the Constructors. Ferrari second with 466. Red Bull with 341. McLaren, bad weekend for them. Anyways, they stay fourth in the World Championship with 111 points. And Renault round out the top five with 73. And then the bottom five in the Constructors, uh, Toro Rosso, Racing Point, Alfa, uh, Alfa Romeo, Haas Ferrari, and then Williams still with that one single point, but I guess one point is better than no points. Anyways, Lewis Hamilton did win the race, but he wasn't able to seal the world championship this past weekend. Anyways, it has been a formality literally for months now, and what with only three races left, it is just a matter of if... Sorry, it is a matter of when and not if. A bit of a slip there. Anyways, Lewis on top of the championship with 363 points. Valtteri Bottas' teammate, 289 points. Charles Leclerc, third in the championship, 236 points. Sebastian Vettel's climbed back up in the fourth with 230. That is 10 ahead of Max Verstappen, who has 220. Pierre Gasly, Carlos Sainz, Alexander Albon, Sergio Perez, Danny Ricardo, Nico Hulkenberg, Lando Norris, Danny Kvyat, Kimi Raikkonen, Lance Stroll, Kevin Magnussen, Roman Grosjean, Antonio Giovinazzi, and Robert Kubica, and George Russell. And Russell rounds out the 20 drivers in the Formula One World Championship this year. And the rookie at uh, Williams has no points. The only point for Williams this year comes courtesy of his teammate, Robert Kubica, who's also 19th in the World uh, Championship. Anyways, yeah, it... uh less said about that the better anyways like i was saying uh, this weekend is the u.s grand prix and i was uh, just going on about how jealous i am that my buddy dan is going to be in austin this uh, weekend but i'm not jealous that dan despite my uh, advice to the contrary went on and decided to buy his tickets on his own he didn't go through vividseats.com because if you want to go to the grand prix you should go and check it out i mean there's still a couple of days left they got uh, tickets there available for them and vivid seat is the top source for tickets for any of the events you want to go to you can sort by price or look for seats in the section row of your choice all in the vivid seats app to make things even better vivid seats now has a loyalty program that allows fans to earn credit back and that is the one and only vivid seats rewards so go to the app store or google play and download the vivid seats app 
Fans are automatically re- uh, enrolled in the rewards uh, loyalty program, and every purchase, get this, is backed by a 100% buyer guarantee. From the biggest concerts and games to the hottest theater shows and more, Vivid Seats has it all. Download the app and join the Vivid Seats reward loyalty program today. So now, there is a limited time uh, offer, so when it is time to buy, new users enter promo code OVERTIME at checkout to receive a discount up to $100. So guys, I was on the app this evening. I checked it out. They've got lots of tickets all for all weekend long. If you want to go for one day or all days, head on over, check it out, download the app, and uh, make sure you use my uh, promo code OVERTIME. You can save up to $100. Anyways, let's uh, move on to other parts of the news. And, uh, well, this is a bit of a a head shaker. Surreal Bitabul, the uh, team principal at uh, Renault, said that uh, they need to cut down on what he calls uh, chaotic weekends. And, of course, uh, well, (laughs) that's uh, pretty obvious. And he told Motorsport.com, quote, We scored a few points. We more or less maintained our advantage against Racing Point and Toro Rosso. We reduced it to McLaren. After what was the situation of our cars in FP3, it was a great result. It is important to have a good race every weekend because there is pressure after a season like this, so it is important to have decent races like this one. But it's been again a weekend that has been a bit chaotic and irrespective of the competitiveness of our car, we need to stop that. We don't need to make our life difficult for ourselves, which is what we are doing. Sometimes there's also third parties doing that, but that's racing. We need to keep our head down for the remaining rounds. So, I mean... Yeah, I mean, last week uh, it was uh, it, it hasn't been a great week for them. That, that uh, appeal that uh, Racing Point had launched after one of the recent races about this uh, automatic brake balance uh, system that uh, Renault has, they were eventually uh, disqualified from the, the the Japanese Grand Prix and they lost the points. So that was disappointing. And uh, this week, uh, well, I mean, they did uh, score points in the race. I mean, uh, uh, Ricardo and uh, Hulkenberg they missed out a bunch of time in uh, FP3 because uh, they're having problem with the. Uh, the, the pollutions, their cars, uh, cooling systems. But I mean, just in general, I find that uh, Renault is uh, is really a frustrating um, and an irritating situation uh, for me. I mean, I'm, I'm not like a huge fan, but I just really expected more from them. I mean, this is a team that has had uh, plenty of experience in Formula One. They've won um, championships both as a, a constructor and as an engine supplier. I mean, Williams-Renault back in the in the 90s, I mean, that was a winning combination. And, uh, of course, Fernando Alonso won his um, uh, world championships way back in 2005 and 2006. That's a mind-blower. I think that's already 15 years ago almost. Anyways, that was with the, the Renault Works team. So I really expected a lot more from them a lot sooner. I mean, after they took over Renault a couple of years ago, or several years ago now, uh, it was going to be, I don't think it's any surprise or any uh, any real shocker to the state that uh, you would have thought that it would be some time, a medium to long-term project, before they get that team uh, really in a competitive state. But they've plateaued, and uh, if anything, they've regressed a little bit. And that's why I think that uh, it's even more surprising, and it's... It's been a tough year for them, obviously, and of course, before this uh, story really uh, finishes uh, writing itself, uh, it, it's still a little bit early to say whether it was a bad move for Danny Ricardo uh, leaving Red Bull at the end of last year to go to, to Renault. You could see why. I mean, he was living into the, the under the shadow of Max Verstappen, even though uh, he was never really proclaimed as the number one at Red Bull. You could just kind of tell that uh, the team was going to be built around him in the future, and of course, I mean, he's got a, a, a lot of things uh, going for him. Looks like a potential world 
world champion in the future. And I think Ricardo realized that maybe he might have more of a shot uh, of being in a similar situation if he goes uh, to uh, to a team like Renault. Anyways. It's uh, it is frustrating to to see them flounder, and I really thought that uh, they would be a lot closer to the the, the big three teams uh, than than they are right now. I mean, like I say, that gap between Renault and uh, and the Red Bulls, the Ferraris, and Mercedes of the world seems to be a lot bigger than it ever has been. Anyways, time for a quick break here on the Overtime Media Network. Don't go away. We'll be back in just a moment. All right, uh, moving ahead and kind of sticking on the uh, a similar tangent to uh, Renault, um, the Mexican Grand Prix was uh, well a painful reminder for McLaren. That comes from the uh, the, the mouth of Andreas Seidel, who was the team principal there, and it was a very painful Sunday indeed for them. And uh, it really goes to show that even though that they've had a good uh, season so far, I mean they are fourth in the, the the World Championship with 111 points. It really shows that they still have a a long way to go or well yeah I mean if they're going to be challenging the likes of uh, Mercedes uh, it is a a long uh, way to the top of the road yet but I mean it has been a good season for them but it really didn't end all that well I mean uh, Lando Norris had that rather embarrassing uh, uh, pit stop in which uh, one of the tires wasn't uh, properly um, uh, fastened uh, during his uh, pit stop made it to the end of the pit lane had to be dragged back to his uh, pit stop or his bit hip his pits pit box my goodness that's a difficult one guys it's almost midnight here so you have to cut me a bit of a, a bit of slack here anyways uh, they they didn't score any uh, points because uh, Carlos Sainz he did finish the race and he was uh, only 13th so he was way back and the thing was uh, they were way up there at uh, at the beginning of the race but uh, it really got uh, went backwards for them uh, fairly quickly anyways uh, Seidel went to say and I quote a painful Sunday for us after having several good race weekends or good Sundays for different reasons first of all especially hard on the on the hard tires so we didn't have the pace we have seen in the last two days with the car it is something we need to analyze and understand if this was related to track temperatures being higher or something else then obviously having good starts with both cars having the pit stop issue on Lando's car destroyed his race and his race was over we later on decided to stop his car since we were running several parameters on the car at the limit and we didn't want to risk any damage. Definitely in terms of pace, it was a setback and actually it was the first time in quite some time that we've seen a different pace on a Sunday compared to the other two days of the weekend. So we simply need to analyze what the issue is. So work for them to do. They got three more uh, races uh, to sort it out and figure it out. I mean, they've said that they're not uh, worried about making a, a real fundamental change in their um, design philo- uh, philosophy for 20. 2020 and I think that they have learned a lot this year and uh, even though that uh, the, uh, the the Mexican Grand Prix was uh, disappointing for them I think they've got a lot to, to be pleased about and a lot of uh, things to be confident about, about this year with uh, what they've done and uh, I mean this was a, a team that has really fallen uh, from the, the, the highest pedestal and has uh, hit rock bottom and it, it really has been good to see them uh, more competitive uh, this year I mean I would love to see McLaren up there fighting it out with the the the, the big boys in formula one but uh, they have their work uh, cut out certainly i mean it looks like it's going in the right direction whether or not uh, they'll get back there anytime soon that's a, a different question but uh, certainly it looks uh, they're, they're looking good and that is uh, certainly uh, promising now this is a kind of cool story now lewis hamilton says he hopes that red bull doesn't quote spit out alex uh, albon after uh, this year and he really thinks that uh, that alex albon has a bright uh, future in uh, in formula one and 
Uh, Albon uh, graduated from uh, Formula 2 into a Toro Rosso seat uh, for this year. And uh, he had, uh, well, I mean, he'd actually uh, signed a Formula E deal with uh, with Nissan. But anyways, uh, he went to, uh, to to Toro Rosso after it was all done. And uh, after the summer break, uh, he replaced uh, Pierre Gasly, who was in the, the Red Bull team after being promoted uh, to uh, the, the, the big team after last year. And of course, they, they do have an issue. Uh, they have like uh, all these young drivers, but not enough guys that have, uh, you know, points on their super license. Uh, uh, and uh, can actually race in Formula One. That's why Danny Kvyat is back at uh, Toro Rosso, and uh, that's why Pierre Gasly got bumped up uh, to the big uh, to the big team after uh, Ricardo left. I mean, they were kind of put on the, the the spot a little bit. I mean, I think they all really expected uh, Ricardo to stay. And uh, well, I mean, if you go and watch that um, first season of uh, F1 Drive to Survive on uh, Netflix, you, you see um, uh, Christian Horner talking to uh, Ricardo's parents, and uh, he says a uh, you know a couple of times uh, throughout the show, if I recall correctly. Exactly that uh, he really felt that the uh, getting a deal done uh, with uh, Ricardo was going to happen at uh, at some point, and I think it still is a bit of a shocker that he decided uh, to pull away. I mean, we, we talked a little, a little bit earlier. Um, anyways, the thing is, Gasly just never really lived up to the hype, or, or not the hype, but the expectations. I don't think there was any hype about uh, Gasly going to, to to Red Bull. I mean, he had some uh, good outings uh, in Toro Rosso last year. I mean, uh, at at some point, the focus for them became not their own individual results but uh, that car basically became a test bed for the Honda engine and that uh, really helped uh, accelerate uh, no pun intended that program uh, for uh, for 2020 sorry 2019 when uh, obviously uh, Red Bull the big team was going to get uh, get the Honda engines after uh, parting ways with Renault at the end of last year so I mean the results weren't there as time went on for for Gasly but the thing is you would think that he was going into a very good situation at Red Bull. I mean, the, the the car has been good. There are always going to be question marks around the Honda engine, but even in uh, in winter testing, I mean, he crashed in uh, Barcelona. I can't remember now if it was the first test or the second one, but anyways, it really limited their their time running, and it wasn't the, the greatest way to start things off, and it really uh, didn't work out for him. I mean, he wasn't uh, scoring as many points as he could, and... It wasn't really too much of a surprise. I mean, considering how we we've seen them dump guys fairly quickly in the in the past. I mean, just look at uh, Danny Kvyat. I mean, uh, talk about return of the prodigal son. I mean, here's a guy that uh, really looked like he was out of favor in Formula One. I mean, he, he looked like in way back in 2016 that uh, that uh, th- things were looking good. Getting promoted from Toro Rosso was going to be, uh, you know, partnering Danny Ricardo at Red Bull. And then had uh, several unfortunate uh, <laughs> incidents, uh, mostly involving Sebastian Vettel at the, the, the beginning of that year that saw him trade places with uh, Max Verstappen. Max wins his very first race in, his, uh, in Formula One in his first t- uh, race weekend for Red Bull at uh, the Spanish Grand Prix that year and Max has never looked back. I mean uh, uh, Kvyat hung on for a little bit then last year in 2018 didn't race in Formula 1 at all. Uh, He was a simulator driver at Ferrari and then fortunately for him uh, circumstances worked out and he's done a good job at Toro so I mean give the guy a a little bit of credit. I think he's done a a decent job there uh, this year. I mean he's uh, I think the time away from Formula 1 certainly uh, did did him well and uh, he seems a lot more focused and not quite as um, rash and erratic and uh, the not quite so torpedo-like. His, uh, you know, of course, that's his uh, nickname as he was uh, before. But anyways, uh, you could see why uh, Gasly wasn't going to stick around uh, for for the long term because it just didn't look like he was... Uh, 
he looked kind of like a square peg in a round hole. And it, it seemed like a logical kind of move, even though it seems uh, on the outside a bit cutthroat to, to, to dump a guy in, uh, you know, in mid-season. But they do have that uh, that history. It's been uh, done before with, uh, with Kvyat. But Alex Albon has come in and he's done a very good job, in my opinion, in those uh, several races since um, the, the, the Formula One summer break the, this past summer. And, um, and, and, and Lewis Hamilton, uh, I think it's... I think it's a real flattering shout out to have a guy like Lewis, uh, you know, be in your corner and uh, come out and say so many uh, positive things. And uh, Lewis goes on to say that he thinks that um, that Alex Albon has been driving really well. He doesn't make too many mistakes. And, um, you know, I mean, he's had uh, a couple other things to say. And uh, he, and then he goes on to, uh, to say that he hopes that Red Bull give Albon the support uh, over the years because it's uh, important because he says, and uh, he uses the word spit out drivers uh, pretty quick, <laughs> which, I mean, he's uh, being quite blunt about it. Uh, because, I mean, it really is a bit of a, um, uh, what do you want to say, a uh, an opportunity for Alex Albon. I mean, they're they're basically trying before they buy, and it's a, a chance for him to really audition as to uh, whether or not he should uh, partner uh, Max Verstappen uh, for for next year. I mean, uh, Danny Kvyat has been doing a good job, but is there really a way back for him to race for Red Bull? I mean, possibly. I mean, I don't. I haven't heard at any rate uh, that uh, they they've ruled him out uh, for driving there in 2020. But uh, Alex Albon, I think he's done a very very good job, and uh, he's he's come up and uh, done a, a lot more. And I think that's the thing is that the, the 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 Red Bull. I mean, although Max has been able to win a couple of races this year, it's still not quite there compared to Mercedes. And Ferrari's gotten better, obviously, as the season's gone on. I mean, they've won a bunch of races and have been there and thereabouts fighting it uh, out with the Mercedes over the, uh, you know, since the summer break, certainly. I mean, uh, Sebastian Vettel uh, was uh, only just a couple seconds behind Lewis Hamilton this past weekend. Russia was a bit unfortunate for them. Uh, and uh, we, we've talked about that uh, over the show. Uh, but I mean, they, they've been more competitive, but uh, Red Bull has kind of slipped a little bit. And the thing is, though, that even though winning winning races may have been a, a little bit more of a function of good luck and fortunate circumstances, they should be able to rack up a, a decent amount of points. And that's where Alex Albon and Pierre Gasly differ. Albon has been able to do it a lot uh, more consistently than uh, than Alex, or sorry, uh, uh, Pierre Gasly was. And I think that's uh, the, the, the the big difference. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens over the the, the course of the, uh, the, the last couple of races and then also over the winter and to, to see ultimately who gets that uh, second seat at, uh, at uh, Red Bull for next year. All right, well, if you're good at uh, picking winners and you want to make a few extra bucks, head on over to MyBookieAG. They're back to sponsor the show this week. They have, uh, well, you, you can basically bet on anything, NFL, NBA, NHL, no, well, maybe not Major League Baseball since the uh, World Series is now over, definitely Formula One. Head on over to their site, mybookie.ag. In, a, in addition to traditional spreads and totals, quarters, halves, or periods on the ice, player props, including points, yards, or goals, PGA, NASCAR, soccer, and more, now is the best time to get in on the action. Sign up at mybookie.ag and use my promo overtime, and they will match your first deposit. Again, promo code overtime and new users get their first deposit doubled mybookie.ag you play you win you get paid okay well 
There's so much news to talk about this week, so let's talk a little bit about Ferrari now. And team principal Mattia Bonato says that he really thinks it's a shame that the legality of their engine design is being questioned and called out by a lot of their rivals, because he said that they should be proud of the advantage that they have. And a lot of the other teams in Formula One have sought clarification about about the legitimacy of some of the techniques that Ferrari are using, and they want the FIA to investigate and rule on that. And um, Ferrari, they've come out and said that they would uh, welcome a formal protest into the the whole issue so they could clear themselves and uh, prove their uh, critics uh, wrong. And uh, Bonato, uh, well, I mean, he says quite bluntly that uh, all uh, F1 teams are, they're, they're obviously working very hard to build uh, competitive uh, advantages. And, uh, and, and again, he's uh, quite forthright and candid saying that, uh, that they as a team, Ferrari, have worked very hard and invested a lot of time into their, uh, their power unit. Uh, which again, he, he's he's very blunt in saying that, that it wasn't the best when um, the the V6 uh, turbo hybrid engines uh, came in in 2014. So they were really worked on it over the over the years, and um, he says that they should be uh, proud about it. But a lot of the the other teams um, are, are kind of uh, wanting that uh, clarification, and uh, their uh, engine superiority is uh, a lot of the reason why they have such a significant straight line advantage on some of the circuits, which. I think it was interesting that it wasn't quite uh, as apparent and um, wasn't a big of an advantage in, um, in, uh, in, in Mexico. I mean, you got that long start finish uh, straight. I mean, they weren't uh, really uh, challenged uh, too much. I mean, uh, towards the end of the race when uh, uh, Valtteri Bottas was able to, to close the gap a bit to, to Sebastian Vettel, Vettel wasn't able to get close enough uh, to Lewis Hamilton to really uh, challenge him for the lead in the race. But uh, Bottas was able to, to close up that gap, which was several seconds at uh, one point. But you could see going down that uh, that that straightaway that uh, even with uh, with DRS that uh, that uh, Vettel was able able to keep him at uh, arm's length and going into that sort of middle section of the track where there's a little bit tighter and there's some uh, you know some uh, some tighter uh, twistier parts that uh, was better suited to the Mercedes that uh, it just uh, by the time they got back around he'd just be able to uh, hold him off and uh, really maintain that uh, little bit of a, a gap so you know it is. I guess it's one of those things. I mean, we, we saw that uh, recently with uh, the, the whole saga about uh, Racing Point uh, bringing up uh, that challenge uh, against uh, Renault about that automatic brake balance uh, bias uh, setting or, or program that they had in the car that was uh, ruled an engine, um, or sorry, a driver aid. So whether or not uh, Ferrari's um, engine is uh, ruled to be legal or not, that that will just have to come out into the wash. I mean, uh, it sounds like they really don't um, have anything or they don't feel like they have anything to hide. They feel like they've done everything right, uh, that they haven't contravened the rules. But again, uh, perhaps if the FIA believe that there's uh, something to investigate, maybe they'll uh, decide otherwise. And of course, it really is about uh, exploiting all the rules and any uh, potential loopholes to, to, to find every little bit of uh, performance. It doesn't matter where in the car it is, uh, in the aerodynamics, in the suspension, in the engine, in anything else uh, that, uh, that, uh, that, you can, that you can do to improve the performance of your car you know, teams are going to do that and they're going to try and exploit those rules to the the, the maximum amount uh, that they can because uh, it, it may be 
just a fraction of a second there or a fraction of a second somewhere else, but those fractions of seconds add up to a tenth of a second or perhaps a half a second in, in total. And that is very, very big. And uh, I, I guess that if you're one of the teams at the top and if there's any room to question anything, of course, people are going to look at that and uh, they're, they're going to be critical about it and they're going to, to, to want to see whether or not what you're doing is legal. And then uh, that, of course, is the job of the, uh, the FIA to come down and decide uh, whether or not it is legal. Anyways, Sebastian Vettel says the uh, the changing opinions of his critics are a quote nightmare, and this was in a, in an article that uh, he did for an interview for Motorsport.com. Great website. Uh, I, there's a lot of good stuff up there. Find quite a bit of material on that website. So go go and check it out if you want to read the the, the full things. Anyways, he goes to talk about uh, a lot of the, uh, the the problems that that he's had over the past year, and uh, he says uh, quote is just difficult sometimes not to listen to critics the world's moving so fast these days i think people judge too quickly that is my opinion but that is what it is and that is just not in formula one it doesn't get any different treatment to other things if you look at other sports you look away from sports you look into politics it is a nightmare every day you judge you change your opinion but i find that is not credible because if you stand for something values or you have an opinion how can you change it overnight unless you have a reason but then you change it again the next night and Obviously, I've been critical of Sebastian Vettel over uh, the, the past year or so, and I think that's fair because he is a four-time world champion. He is racing for Ferrari, and I, I think it's I think it's fair. I mean, the thing is too that when he's had his issues, and Ferrari have had their issues, I've been ready to to, to bring it up. But at the same time, if he's had a good race, I think that uh, that it's only fair that uh, that that you recognize that as well. I think that uh, that there's no real. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I mean, I don't think uh, passing Joe, and of course, I don't think he's addressing me in that article <laughs> specifically, of course. He's probably never heard of this podcast, but I don't really see that as changing and as a, an opinion. I see that more as a, a commentary or a reaction to what's happening with him on the track and what he's doing. And like I say, I mean, if he has a bad race or he does something uh, that uh, that wasn't uh, the, the best that, uh, that I think that... Uh, is not the becoming of a four-time world champion. I mean, uh, look at the incident he had with uh, Lance Stroll at Monza. That is not something that I expect to see from a four-time world champion. Uh, going off the track like he did, then coming back onto the track, and then uh, clipping Lance Stroll, getting a penalty for it, in obviously what is a huge race for Ferrari. It's their, their home race. I mean, I think that's my right to be critical about him then. But, you know, if he's had a good race, and I thought he had a very good race in Singapore, I, I think it's fair to go and uh, and, and give him uh, credit for that and and and, uh, and, and I, I think you have to be flexible in uh, in your opinions on people like that uh, you know if if it isn't good you, I think there's nothing wrong in saying so but at the at the same time on the flip side if you criticize the bad you have to recognize the good and I don't think that's a changing um changing your opinion radically. I still think Sebastian Vettel is a very good race driver. However, he's had his issues over the past year. He's been better recently. Is he back on his game? Is he back in the position where he can challenge for wins regularly in Formula One, ultimately challenge for the world champion? 
I think that question is open-ended. Certainly the signs have looked more positive over the past uh, two months or so. He's uh, looked a lot more on form and whether or not he's broken out of that funk and, and, and gotten out of that bad patch where he didn't win a race for a year. That, I think, is uh, still remains to be seen. I mean, the, the, the signs look positive, but this story is uh, still far from over. Anyways, uh, that was a bit of an interesting one. Anyways, uh, a man who's had some things to say this week, uh, Vettel also said that he is no fan of what he called shitty F1 trophies, and he's not a fan of Mexico's selfie guy. I mean, I don't know if you saw selfie guy, anyways, dressed up in some traditional Mexican uh, clothing, including a crash helmet and a sombrero. Yeah, that's kind of a kind of a lame uh, gimmick. I can understand why uh, Seb didn't like that one. I'm not a fan of a uh, selfie guy either. Uh, the, the the trophies. This might kind of sa- sound like a, a little bit of um, first world uh, problems, but uh, Vettel goes on uh, and he says, "Quote: You have such great a uh, race. They put so much effort into the race, and then you get this shitty trophies that look boring." <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, some of them, uh, you know, these sort of Heineken ones. They are obviously a major uh, sponsor, and they're not really all. All that exciting and uh, I, I think they've had some very similar ones over time so that's uh, what, what he's talking about what I did think was uh, cool and he mentioned it as well was uh, putting the, uh, the the winning car on the podium with the with the drivers in some races obviously it doesn't work look at Monza you have that elevated podium uh, right over the pit wall and uh, there's enough room to get the three drivers up there plus that uh, special um, enclosure that um, whatever you want to call it um, set that they have with all the uh, the world champions names engraved on it that's pretty cool obviously getting uh, the, the winning car isn't going to work there but I thought it was kind of a cool touch you know you get uh, the, 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 the uh, three top drivers the podium up there plus uh, a representative uh, from the team for the uh, for the race winner, why not get the uh, the, the car up there? It'd be kind of cool to see if they could do it uh, at other places. Certainly, Mexico do, uh, doing that, uh, doing things a little bit different, and I think uh, I think it was really cool. Love to see it again. Anyways, time for a quick break here on the Overtime Media Network. Don't go away. We'll be back in just one moment. All right, uh, just uh, sticking again with uh, Sebastian Vettel. Uh, he says that uh, the mirrors on modern Formula One cars leave drivers guessing. And this is just uh, in response to the uh, incident that he and uh, Lewis Hamilton had on the first lap of the Mexican Grand Prix, in which he put a bit of a squeeze on Lewis Hamilton and um, they all pushed him onto the grass. And they almost came uh, together. I mean, uh, Lewis was uh, critical afterwards, uh, saying that uh, there could have been uh, what he called a big uh, collision. And uh, Vettel said that uh, he didn't really uh, know the, that he was there. He said that if he knew uh, uh, Hamilton was there, that he would have tried to, to squeeze him a little bit. But anyways, uh, Vettel said, quote, I think the blind spot is as old as the invention of the mirror, so not sure what we can do much about that. I think obviously on the first lap, it is a lot of guessing where the other people are, especially when you go into the corners. Most of the time we see it works out. Sometimes it doesn't. I think we uh, we try to do our best. We know we can't win the race in the first corner, but we can lose it. I don't think you can do much about it. Anyways, uh, just uh, talking about the incident with uh, Hamilton at uh, on the opening lap in Mexico, Vettel went on to say, quote, I didn't see him. He came after the race and as well and asked, but I had no intention to push him or anything. Obviously, as soon as I saw it, I obviously got off and tried to get in Charles's toe, and I checked the mirrors on the right and the mirrors on the left, and that's when I saw Lewis, and then, you know, I tried to go right, but uh, before that point, I didn't see him. We see quite well in the mirrors, but there's still obviously an angle that you can't see. 
Anyways, yeah, it could have been a bit of a, a scary moment. I I did go back and watch the uh, the, the start of the race uh, just before I sat down to record the show this evening, and the, the camera angles really aren't uh, the, the 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 greatest. You can kind of see it looking up uh, the the uh, the track towards start finish, and you can see Sebastian kind of uh, drawing a little bit to the left. You can see Lewis going on to the uh, the, the grass a little bit. The uh, commentators, uh, David Croft and uh, Martin Brundle, they obviously had a better uh, view. Anyway, so you don't you don't really see exactly it uh, unfolding. I, I didn't get a chance to go back on the DVR and see if it was on the overhead view, but the uh, the, the trackside view didn't really show a lot. But uh, we'll we'll talk a little bit uh, in a moment about uh, Max Verstappen because I want to just uh, talk a little bit now because this one I've been dying to get off of my my, my chest, and this is uh, a little bit about uh, some of the things that they've been talking about in uh, for for 2021 and uh, some of these um, stupid things like the reverse grid and all these sort of things. Anyways, Chase Carey, the uh, CEO of uh, Formula One, uh, has um, dismissed uh, that uh, there are any concerns about uh, teams will overspend ahead of the cost cap that's going to come in. And uh, he believes that uh, the 2021s will be ratified this week. So, well, that... uh that remains to be seen. But anyways, there is on Thursday uh, an FIA World Motorsport Council vote where the draft technical, sporting, and financial F1 regulations will, uh, will be uh, put uh, forward for approval. And uh, Kerry did uh, discuss the ram- uh, ramifications of the new cost cap uh, agreement. And it is going to be interesting um, to see how they're going to uh, implement that and how it's going to be policed because, uh, I mean, $175 million, that sounds like a, a lot of uh, money. That's what uh, was agreed to by the the teams and that was uh, written in stone uh, earlier this uh, year and so he's trying to dismiss the concerns that the big teams will spend heavily in 2020 and then uh, uh, reap the rewards in 2021. And he really doesn't think it's uh, going to be an issue uh, about that. So there's going to be a transition uh, next year through to the year after, but they're going to do that uh, each and every uh, year. But uh, anyways, uh, he says that uh, they'll have independent parties when they need to, so things can be um, independently uh, verified. And uh, the FAA have gone through a very extensive process to really establish those uh, pr- principles for determining the costs, what is in it, and uh, what's covered by the uh, by the, the this cost cap. Anyways, he seems like to think it's not going to be a big deal. Uh, Mercedes and Red Bull are. Uh, well, they're skeptical, to say the least, of uh, this whole policing uh, process. So starting in 2021, all the teams will have to um, uh, stick to that uh, cost of $175 million. So, I mean, uh, that'll be a reduction for some teams. And, you know, I, I think it's—I don't think it's a bad thing. I mean, in, in principle, I think if you can keep the cops uh, cost down, because, you know, if you're like a team like a Mercedes or Ferrari that have uh, literally unlimited resources, you can spend like there's no tomorrow, it's— it is a lot different than some of the smaller teams that uh, that struggle. So does that mean the smaller teams will spend more? Not necessarily, but I think uh, certainly for the big teams that uh, they'll have to do more with less. And um, I, I think that potentially... And whether or not this proves to be true is a, is another story. But can they do more with less? Uh, can, you, can you find more... Um, I guess, ingenious ways, smart ways to do things rather than just uh, 
throwing a, a lot of money at a problem and and then uh, figuring a way out or do you have to be a little bit more creative uh, about it um total wolf the team principal at uh, mercedes uh, says that uh, he he wants more input uh, about that and uh, also he uh, he did uh, support a rejected uh, sorry he did uh, support uh, a proposal to delay the sporting and technical rules to 2022 uh, with a cost cap implemented in 2021 and uh, that was uh, rejected. Anyways, you can see why. I mean, until it all comes out. And I mean, if guys like Total Wolf are a little bit uh, skeptical about it and uh, and have issues with it, it's kind of hard for us on the outside to, to really see where it's at until these things come out and uh, become uh, concrete. I mean, we don't know any of the costs that are involved. I mean, we can make some educated guesses, but certainly uh, it is interesting to, to see those two contrasting opinions from uh, Chase Carey and then from uh, Total Wolf. Anyway, sticking with Total Wolf, uh, he put his foot down <laughs> in, in blocking what he called the wrong idea of the reserve, a reverse grid to uh, in uh, in order to protect uh, Formula One from its uh, from itself, basically. So Liberty Media have been keen to try this uh, three reverse qualifying races next year in uh, France, Belgium, and Russia specifically to see if this format would be something that worked and can be used in the, the longer term. But I mean, there's been a lot of criticism and a lot of skepticism by a, a lot of people for a very long time. Uh, Vettel has come out, said that he didn't like it, and uh, Total Wolf, uh, obviously not a fan. I mean, a lot of, mostly everybody I talked to, uh, just uh, other Formula One fans uh, were very negative about it as well and I mean I'm not really a big fan about it like I say I'm open to change I'm open to exploring new ways like I thought the uh, the, the qualifying format that they uh, came out with a couple of years ago it had its uh, potential unfortunately once we saw it in reality, once it was implemented, it uh, didn't live up to to expectations. It didn't work out, and it was a bit of a joke, obviously. And uh, it uh, it was good that they reverted to the format they have. And the thing is, I like the format that they have. I I think it works. And you know, the, the way that you lose five cars and every time at the end of Q one and Q two, it sets up the the, the the top ten shootout. Of course. You know, I guess the, the the best and the fastest cars obviously have the you know the are, are going to be the favorites to get on pole position, but that's not necessarily a, a, a sure thing each and every time. But I don't know. Like I say, I, I think that this this concept that they've come up with, I don't see it as an improvement over what they have now. And is it a case of it ain't broke, don't fix it? Maybe. Like I say, I'm skeptical of uh, of uh, changing it, and I didn't like the idea of this reverse grid kind of thing. I, f- I feel it's a little bit uh, too gimmicky, and uh, I would like uh, to see them come up uh, with something else. So they're going to have to put their thinking caps back on and see if they can come up uh, with something uh, a little bit uh, better. Anyways, I've held on to this one uh, long enough, and let- let's talk a little bit now about uh, Max Verstappen. Ross Braun, the uh, motorsport uh, director or director of motorsport whatever his name is at uh, the FIA. Anyways, he said that uh, that uh, the... Oh, sorry. I'm still one step ahead of myself. I was going to talk about Ross Braun talking about Max Verstappen. Anyways, uh, he... I'm just going to go back uh, for a moment. Uh, excuse me for getting ahead of myself here. Uh, Braun was talking about uh, the, uh, the the reverse grid plan and the, the rejection by um, uh, Formula One or the teams in Formula One uh, says it showcases uh, what uh, is a classic problem in the sport. And that is true to a certain extent. I mean... Um, 
change in Formula One always seems to come very slowly. It always seems to be a lot of opposition. In uh, in years gone by, every time there was something, uh, a proposed rule change that came out and uh, Ferrari didn't like it, they always threatened to pack up their toys and go home. And uh, that sort of seemed to be almost a standard kind of uh, you know move from their their, their their playbook. And we've we've always seen other resistance in other areas as well. And I mean, I guess it's not really a big surprise that all these uh, rules for 2021 are taking so long to have out and you have people like Total Wolf trying to get the the, the whole thing delayed and uh, you know not implemented until 2022. And but the thing is with the reverse grid thing is it was just stupid. <laughs> I'm just I'm just gonna say exactly what I think. I, I didn't think it was a great idea, and I think that's more. I don't see it as a problem uh, from my point of view of being a sort of a classic Formula One uh, time-wasting and stalling and positioning and politicking. I think it was just a rede- rejection of teams of just of what was just a bad idea and something that uh, wasn't going to work. Anyways, that's just uh, my my two cents. Anyways, let's uh, let, let's talk now about um, Ross Braun on uh, Max Verstappen. So Max, obviously having quite an eventful uh, weekend, looked like he had actually stolen the 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 the, uh, the, the pole position, snagged it. Uh, however, he uh, admitted afterwards he did not lift uh, after the uh, the yellow flags were being waved right at the very end of Q three, when all the, uh, the the big boys were on their hot lap and uh, uh, Valtteri Bottas put it into the wall just in the very final turn before start finished um, Sebastian Vettel lifted off uh, for one so his uh, last hot lap was a uh, compromise and that cost him his shot at pole position anyways Max didn't do that he went through and uh, ultimately was uh, uh, was uh, penalized for it dropping from uh, first to fourth on the uh, on the starting grid and then of course in the race uh, he did have an incident with uh, well he had a couple of incidents actually first of all he came together with Lewis Hamilton and at uh, at turn two, both of them went onto the grass. Uh, Max ended up uh, damaging uh, with that little bit of contact, uh, damaged uh, Lewis's car, which Lewis said that uh, cost him a couple of tenths uh, a lap. Even though he did go on to uh, win that race, uh, Max uh, dropping way back, and then um, a couple of laps later managed to get around uh, Valtteri Bottas just through that uh, chicane, that tight twisty bit that goes through the uh, the uh, stadium section just before start finish, just before the pit entry there. I mean, it was an awesome move. I mean, uh, Bottas uh, really uh, did say afterwards that it was uh, an overtaking um, a maneuver that uh, he didn't expect uh, that, that Max was going to try and uh, pass him there. And that's kind of like Max's signature move. I mean, we've seen him pass guys in uh, in other races in the past at, uh, at places where people always would say oh yeah well nobody could ever pass there it's almost like Max Verstappen's like oh really is that uh, is that a fact or is that a dare I mean he, we, we've seen him do that uh, a number of times anyways he did manage to stick his car in front of uh, Bottas and then uh, Bottas uh, uh, did uh, contact him on his right rear tire and the, that front left end plate on Bottas's uh, front wing uh, sliced open Max's uh, rear tire on the right uh, he had a puncture and then uh, dropped right down at uh, the end and, and Ross Braun said that uh, that Max has to learn from the mistakes uh, to become a world champion down the line. And, I mean, Max has been pretty good for over a year now. I mean, the, the start to the 2018 season was pretty rough, right from the uh, the Australian Grand Prix, 
right through those first several races of the year. And it kind of really climaxed at uh, at Monaco last year when he put it into the barrier in FP3. And then um, just it didn't leave his uh, his mechanics enough time to rebuild the car and repair it in, uh, enough so Max could get out uh, from qualifying. He had a good race. I mean, uh, I, I, I don't have the, uh, the notes right in front of me here, but I mean, he did manage to get up into the points. I mean, he was out of it. I mean, you were never going to come from the back uh, to win or, or get on the podium at that, uh, you know, from, from where he was. But ever since then, he's, uh, I think he's been on the straight and narrow. I mean, the, the those sort of incidents that kind of uh, were a little bit too frequent before that time have uh, really been, for the most part, uh, absent until uh, last weekend. And I don't know if it was just a, a bit of a, a bad day at the office uh, for, for Max Verstappen, but it's... I don't know. I think it's sort of a 50-50 kind of thing. If you look at what happened with him and Lewis, when they get down to the end of that very long straightaway, they go into turn one. Lewis is on the left-hand side of the track. Max is on the inside. He's got the corner. Lewis goes around. You can see what Lewis is trying to do. He's trying to put his car a little bit further ahead coming out of that corner so he can have the inside line going into the left-hander at turn two. But the thing is, Max goes a little bit wide. They... They don't really ta- they they don't really come together initially. They get uh, kind of tangled up with each other and like st- almost tripping over each other a little bit. And then just going into uh, turn two, I think Lewis moves ever so slightly to the right, Lu- and uh, Max goes a little bit to, to the left. By this point, Lewis is in front, and then Max's right or sorry left front uh, tire contacts Lewis's floor just in front of his right rear tire, and then uh, both of them uh, again end up on the grass going around. And uh, well, Max. Although it was an aggressive move, was it over the line? I don't know. I think it was just two guys that weren't going to give an inch, and it was just unfortunate. And even though Lewis's car was damaged, it, it did cost him the time. He was able to go out and, and win that race. It was, um, I think, in part due as much to uh, Lewis's uh, driving his capabilities as it was to the uh, you know the, the really gutsy decision by his uh, stand-in race engineer to pit as early as they did to put on the hard r- rubber and then making the calculation and the decision to go the rest of the way on those hard tires. So that was a, a real gutsy uh, call on the, on their behalf. But the incident between Verstappen and uh, and Hamilton, I don't think that either of them really deserved a penalty for it. I mean, uh, it, it was noted, but uh, it wasn't uh, wasn't uh, decided by the steward that uh, anything needed to, to happen, even though uh, the race control got it wrong because initially it said incident involving uh, cars 44 and 5, and 5, of course, is a Sebastian Vettel had been noted and then uh, it came back up afterwards it was uh, cars number 44 and 33 and then at the end said no further action necessary between car 44 and 5 so a bit of confusion there but anyways I didn't think it was really uh, warranted but uh, Max was a little bit salty about it because he thought that um, going back as far as qualifying that he felt that uh, Lewis Hamilton uh, should have been uh, penalized as well and uh, well (laughs) Max uh, did go on uh, to say that uh, that uh, he felt that uh, Lewis Hamilton didn't uh, receive the, the the same treatment that he did. And uh, Max said, and I quote, the rule is very clear. The only thing I want to say about that from my side is because there were a lot of comments about it and looking for sure I should have lifted, but then everybody should do the same. And I know Seb did the same, but the one silver Mercedes car didn't. And then he doesn't get a penalty and that annoys me as well. But it is what it is. I can't decide for other drivers about the rules. So you can understand why he would be uh, a little bit uh, irritated about that but uh, just uh, talking about uh, you know Lewis Hamilton and, and Max Verstappen 
Lewis actually believes, and he said that uh, other drivers are forced to leave extra space uh, for for Max uh, Verstappen, and uh, you know, basically because he uh, believes that uh, if you don't, that uh, there uh, there is a real possibility that uh, that there's going to be a collision because Max won't yield, he won't uh, give you an inch, and I, I think that's part of the reason why that uh, makes Max Max right. Anyways, uh, so uh, Lewis um, says, uh, quote, I think every uh, driver is slightly different. Some are smarter, some are very smart, aggressive, and some are silly with it. And so through those experience of racing with people, you give some more space and with others, you don't have to. They're quite respectful. But yeah, Max, it's very likely you're going to come together with Max if you don't give him extra space. So most of the time that you do. But as I said, in my experience, I didn't have a lot of space to give him that extra space in the incident at turn two. But I don't think it was intentional or anything like that. It was just, he's a magnet for those kind of things, but nonetheless, I managed to keep the car together and in a straight line, fortunately. Anyways, uh, they did go on to ask also uh, Sebastian Vettel, and uh, Vettel's uh, and the response to that was, uh, quote, no, just a copy-paste uh, of Hamilton's answer, it's true. And then uh, Valtteri uh, Bottas uh, added as well, quotes for me, just out of nowhere, he appeared on the inside into turn 13, and you know, I couldn't disappear from there. He just dived in and we touched, he got a puncture, so from that, I couldn't really avoid him, so I think he earned his own puncture, definitely. Interesting. Well, I think it is uh, true, and um, there is a good possibility that you're going to come together with Max, but uh, he is a hard and tough and uh, aggressive driver. And uh, just to ask any one of those top drivers about it, I mean, uh, Charles Leclerc was really salty about the move that Max put on him at uh, at the Austrian Grand Prix back at the end of the summer, or sorry, beginning of the summer, when he really pushed his way through, barged his way through at that uh, hairpin, that really sharp 90-degree uh, corner at uh, turn three, and uh, there was a little bit of uh, banging going on, but uh, that's the kind of driver that he is, and I think you got to be very aware uh, about him. But again, I think that uh, that's one of those things that makes Max Max. Sometimes he's uh, up against the line, sometimes he crosses over it, but uh, the one thing that uh, you know is that he's always going to try and pass someone somewhere, so you got to be uh, careful for that. Anyways, uh, that's about it uh, for this uh, this week. It's time to wrap it up. It's taken a lot longer than usual. It's almost midnight here in Vancouver, so it's time to shut it down. So anyways, thank you again, guys, for listening to the show. If you want to get in touch, send me an email at scuderiaf1pod at gmail.com. Tweet me at scuderiaf1pod. And that's it. Thank you for listening. Enjoy the U.S. Grand Prix this weekend. Didn't really get a chance to talk about it. Uh, I did have all the notes here, but... You know, you guys didn't catch up on it, but my computer actually crashed halfway through the recording session here. So I was able to salvage it, but I did lose about an hour out of my recording time. Anyways, uh, what do you guys think? This has got to be the weekend that uh, Lewis wraps it up. Last year, of course, uh, Kimi Raikkonen won the U.S. Grand Prix. The first time he'd won a race in a number of years. And that uh, certainly was a bit of a fan favorite uh, to see Kimi Raikkonen uh, do it. Anyways, um, Lewis Hamilton did set the lap record there last year. It was a 137.3. 56 laps this week and uh, I think this is going to be the weekend that Lewis wins it and anyways if he does and if he doesn't win it this week we will be back to talk about it all next week on the podcast and until then I'm signing off and it's been great uh, talking to you guys again and look forward to doing it again next week bye for now
Thanks for listening to the Scuderia F1 podcast. If you want to get the show notes for this episode, then head over to ScuderiaF1Pod.com. Want to get in touch with us? Then email us at ScuderiaF1Pod at gmail.com.